Hello, this is Tony Speaks, and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. So I look at a lot of discipline talk that I've seen or heard as the equivalent of, of somebody who's really disciplined telling other people, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. And that may help people for sure. But prior to that, I think there needs to be somebody going, hey, this is why you need to do this. James Michael Smith is a Bible teacher, author, artist, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He leads a weekly Bible study through the books of the Old Testament. He also provides seminars and short-term courses in biblical studies, Christian thought, and theology in churches and ministries around the world. In 2015, he started Refugee Jitsu, an anti-bullying and self-defense program for refugee, immigrant, and lower-income kids in Charlotte, North Carolina. But most importantly of all, James Michael Smith is becoming disciplined. Now, how has your faith impacted your level of discipline through the years? I don't know. That's a hard question to answer because I'm not conscious of a lot of what I do. Like, I, I don't look at myself as a very disciplined person it's because I think of discipline in the traditional sense of the word. I don't get up early uh, because of my sleep issues. I I don't have a, a very, I don't I don't do like all the Jocko Willink or, or the, you know, the leadership gurus. I don't have that rigid schedule. And, and I'm not type A personality at all. So I, in a traditional sense of the word, it's hard to see myself as very disciplined. But then I look at like overall life and, you know, how much I read and how much I study and, and the things that I do just on my own as part of my, what I feel is my calling or, or life. And I, you know, and I can say, okay, yeah, that is, I could see that as being disciplined. It just doesn't look like normal, typical, stereotypical discipline. So my faith, I, everything done should be done to the glory of God. Everything should be done for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God in some way. Doesn't mean preaching on the street corner. It doesn't mean ha handing out tracts. It doesn't. I mean, those things are fine, and I've done all of those. I used to be a street preacher in college, so I'm for it. But for some people, it may be being the honest mechanic in your town that everybody knows they're not going to get cheated. You know, it, so for some people it may mean you don't you don't make as big a bonus but you pay your workers more so that they can provide for their families. You know, those are the kinds of things when you look at scripture and you look at Jesus's outlook, he's much more concerned about those things than about who's going to have the biggest ministry. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end on judgment day there's going to be a lot of surprises because the people that are going to be the most esteemed in, in the world's eyes are going to be those who were the least esteemed in the church's eyes right now. Sure. And so I, I just, I think that's how my faith would inform it is just do everything that you can as best you can, but with kingdom impact. Mm. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be great. Just do it as if it matters. Well, you kind of took away one of my questions there because I, I wanted to ask later on. You're such a disciplined person, but you also never appear stressed. You kind of take everything easy. And I wanted to ask, how do you balance the rigors of life, but appear to always be taking it easy? And I guess my point 
of why especially the artist uh, should be listening to James Michael Smith is because uh, I will say this, you are a unicorn because the other people I've interviewed who are highly disciplined where they've accomplished certain things, uh, I will say they're kind of driven, like, like when you run into them, like, they're, like they're, they're, they are that type A personality. And you have more of the artistic personality where every, every time I've ever spoken to you online, seen your videos, or you never look stressed. You know, so so I think that that's a you know that's a real that's a blessing because to be able to accomplish it without being stressed or or looking overly stressed or looking, or you know, uh, like you're on that hard line, um, I think that's a blessing. That's a that's a that's the key to an abundant life. So well, that that I owe to my mom for sure, um, teaching me how to roll with things and how to handle things, and but the stress is there. It's totally there. I mean, I. You know, if you want to see stress, let me show you my bank account month to month. It's, there's a lot of stress there. But it's I, what I get from my dad. And this is sometimes not healthy. It can be healthy, but sometimes if anything taken to an extreme is I do internalize a lot. So if I'm dealing with stress, a lot of times people won't know it, but I will be, you know, it'll be eating at me inside or I'll be mulling it over or I'll be, you know, anxious or whatever. Um, but you try to, you know, as long you try to be aware of it for sure so that it doesn't consume you. And I try to have a balance where I'm not inwardly focused, like, like jujitsu keeps me sane. You know, I, I just, the other night was coming back from class, sore, beat up. Uh, I mean, I have some big training partners that will just smash me. And I just remember getting in the car going, that's exactly what I needed. Like I just needed that release for that hour. Because I'd been in my apartment all weekend by myself with my dog, doing YouTube stuff, uh, you know, doing studying, prepping for upcoming thing I'm going to be teaching. I had not had any real, just normal contact. And and during this quarantine, I think there's been a lot of people that have struggled with that. So having those outlets is is huge in terms of keeping things. Jiu-Jitsu's, I, I really do think jujitsu is one of the best things for people to deal with stress in their life in general outside of a, a relationship with the lord and a biblical foundation i'd put jiu-jitsu right there on that list in terms of, of keep, i mean any martial art but specifically grappling martial arts where you are forced to literally wrestle with someone uh, but you know you're in a safe environment where you're not going to get seriously injured or hurt there's just something incredible about that that really does forge your, your, it just gives you strength that you didn't know you had. Now, here's some selfish advice I'm going to ask you. Uh, this is just basically for me, but maybe someone else can glean something from, from it. I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. I have a seven-year-old little girl and a five-year-old little girl. Mm -hmm. Should I start them off in karate and then move them to jujitsu, or should I just straight start them straight out to jujitsu? I, uh, I started in karate and moved to jujitsu, but going back. I would trade most of my years in karate, not all of them, because I did learn some really good and important stuff, but I would, I would trade so much of what I did for, for jujitsu. Like if I could go back and redo it after I left my first instructor, after because we moved, that's why I had to stop. Uh, when we moved to the new town, instead of looking for a local Taekwondo school or karate school, I would have tried to find you. There wasn't jujitsu at the time because that was the late eighties, but 
now there is. So yeah, I, I think jujitsu is the best martial arts for kids to start with because not only does it teach practical self-defense, but it inoculates your kids from stress of physical exertion. So when people get into an altercation, they freeze up because you're not used to somebody. If you've never had hands put on you, you're not used to it and you freeze up. Jiu-jitsu, that's every class. Every time you're on the mat, you have people putting hands on you, trying to throw you, choke you, pull your arm in this direction. And you just become so used to it that when you actually have to use it, there's a psychological stress and some people could freeze up from the psychology of it, but physically your body's so conditioned to just do what's natural. So for kids, like your, your daughter is five and seven, they don't need to know how at this age, they don't need to know how to kick somebody in the head. They don't need to know how to defend a roundhouse kick. What they need to know how to do is get a bully off of them. Who's pinned them on the ground and is holding them down and is going to spit in their face or somebody who pulls their hair and is going to grab their hair and, and yank them around. Those are the things that kids need to learn. So I, karate is better than nothing. Taekwondo is better than nothing. All of those are, to me are better for kids than, than gymnastics, soccer, dance, piano. I mean, those things are all great, but in terms of priority, I'm a huge advocate that every parent who loves their child and has the means should put their child in a grappling based martial art as early as they can. Judo, jujitsu, sambo, uh, anything where kids are getting used to being roughed up, but in a safe and a fun way, that's going to make them, that's going to make them better overall. Sure. Sure. Now I took a keto for a little while and, um, I felt a little, not by the sensei, but by other people in the dojo, I felt pressured to, to bow to, to, you know, to the, uh, some of the inanimate objects. And, you know, I, I, the sensei was cool, but uh, everyone else there was kind of, uh, it was like a constant, uh, like I would get peer pressured at the end of our sessions. You know, like, how come you aren't, you know, how come you aren't doing this like everybody else? Have you ever felt pressured about that? And have you ever felt concerned about that? Or does that happen in jujitsu like it does in Aikido? It, it doesn't in Brazilian jujitsu because Brazilian jujitsu is Brazilian and the Brazilian culture is, well, one, it's a Catholic culture. So there's already a, a Judeo-Christian base, but it's also a laid back culture, more informal, whereas Japanese culture is much more rigid culture, a formal culture. Um, and, and when you throw in spiritual beliefs into that mix, it's going to depend on the school and the instructor and the ethos that they've created. I, some people get real concerned, and this is where cultural differences in ministry can be a thing. So missions experts talk about doing cross-cultural studies in order to understand the culture before ministering. In America and in Western culture, bowing has spiritual significance. Bowing to someone has, you're showing they are over you, you're subservient. Um, it's, it's in a biblical worldview, it's a sign of sometimes even worship, the word for worship and bow down in Hebrew is the same word. So there's spiritual connotations in Eastern cultures. In some of them, it can have those connotations for sure, because they trace all the way back to ancient times. But today it's become the equivalent of a handshake. So, and you go to Japan, you bow to each other all the time. That's not, there's no spiritual significance. It is a, it's showing respect and politeness. Sure. So in our, where I train, uh, the students are, there's a rule, you, you bow before you get on the mat and you bow when you get off the mat. 
has no spiritual significance. All you're doing is acknowledging I'm about to step into an area where I need to respect people and that they need to respect me. And we have to have this mutual respect. And this is my way of showing that and keeping in mind that I'm not just going to the gym. I'm not just about to go, you know, like you'd go for a jog or go lift weights. It keeps the mindset of this take, this is, this is a respectful thing. And if you don't have that respect, it can get dangerous. So keep keeping that in mind. And for us, that's what a bow shows. But if somebody came from a culture that was steeped in idolatry or they struggled with, you know, whatever, and, and bowing for them was a serious, had, had uh, spiritual significance, then I would tell them, all right, cool. Talk to your instructor. Let them know how can I show respect? How can I show that I appreciate my instructors, that I appreciate my school, that I appreciate this? How can I show appreciation, which scripture does call us to do? How can I honor those who scripture does call us to honor without violating something that for me is a very personal thing? And a good instructor should be sensitive enough to go, okay, I understand, you know, here's what we're going to do. Here, you know, do this instead of this. When we when we when other students bow, you know, you can you can do a you know something. There are other ways you can show respect besides something that may trigger you in a spiritual sense. That's what I would say. Aikido, it's understandable. You get a lot of um, there's some good things about Aikido, but there's also a lot of craziness that it attracts people that have the traditional martial arts mindset of like, you know. I, I don't want to bash Aikido because it does have some good aspects to it, but it tends, you tend to get a lot of people that are more into almost like the live action role play uh, and in love with Japanese culture and mysticism and all this stuff. They tend to gravitate more towards things like Aikido, ninjutsu, those martial arts, Kung Fu, than than the guys coming to do like Muay Thai or Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or, or kickboxing or Kyokushin Karate or stuff like that. So two different mindsets. Sure. And, and just, I, I never had a problem bowing to another person, but there was a section where they had you bowing toward an inanimate object. And, yeah. and that was the only thing that, uh, bowing to my fellow students and the, the teacher, I was always cool. It's just, they had us bow to the, um, to the sensei who created Aikido, yeah. uh, you know, his painting. And yeah, that was, yeah, 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 I had a little bit of problem with that, but, but, um, uh, can be i think it's one of those things for some people it it's kind of like saying the pledge of allegiance the way i look at it some people when they say the pledge of allegiance they mean i'm going to be a good patriot other people are like i pledge my allegiance to god alone not to any flag right and so i can see both of those being legitimate reasons why somebody either would or wouldn't do it that's when that's when i think christian charity you know the whole meat offered to idols uh, principle that paul gives the romans and the corinthians we have to extend that to, to other Christians. Sure, sure, sure. Now, uh, some people believe on focusing on strengths and ignoring weaknesses. Some people believe that, you know, you, you have to address weaknesses. What's your thoughts on that? And how do you deal with your weaknesses or undeveloped areas? Um, I think in general, you should, what you're good at, you should spend more time on that getting better if you want to be an expert or if you want to teach other people or guide other people. But if there's something that you're catastrophically bad at, I think you should at least devote enough energy to getting competent at it. 
or, or at least so that you're not at it, so that you don't have a glaring weakness. Um, you know, even Shaquille O'Neal would practice free throws. Now he couldn't right. hit one to save his life, but he would still practice <laughs> because he was going to get hacked all the time. And he knew, okay, I'm so bad at this and they know I'm so bad at this. So he devoted some of his time, but he wasn't ever going to be the free throw leader. You know, Dennis Rodman, same thing. He would rebound like crazy. He's not out there working on his three-point jump shot. And so I think that that's, there's a good lesson in that is if you're – the things that you're really, really good at, you should drive yourself to excel even more because that's how you're going to stand out and be really good at something. And the things that you're really bad at that could be weaknesses because you're so bad at them – you need to shore up those to the point where they're no longer like like handicappable weaknesses. Sure. But everything else is going to be somewhere in between. Sure. And that's when it's going to be up to the individual person. What's your goal? Would you rather be somebody who's a, a, an expert at one or two things and not great at anything else? Or would you rather be someone who's not an, the best in the world at anything but you're a jack of all trades and you can do what needs to be done. I think both of those are valid goals. And I think both of those are, are, are required discipline, you know, so to, to be a general practitioner or to be a specialist, you put it this way. When I go to see my doctor, my regular doctor, I don't want him to be the greatest in the world at one thing. I want that doctor to know any symptom that I bring to him. He either can diagnose it or he can point me to somebody who can help me. But when I go to a specialist, when I had my, I had, I've had a bunch of surgery. When I had my hand surgery, I wanted the best hand surgeon in the, in the area working on my hand. I don't care how good he was at working on feet or eyes or anything like that. So it just depends on what, what your goals are, I think. Sure. Now, um, speaking about undeveloped areas, I have a question uh, really having to do at large with the church. Mm. Uh, there is a, uh, I won't say his name, but there is a uh, there is another scholar. There's a reformed scholar who, you know, he's uh, out west in Arizona. Amen. And uh, he's, uh, you know, great with the koine. And he, you know, he kind of thinks that pretty much all Christians should be able to uh, be fluent in knowing how to read koine. Um, you're, you know, you are gifted with the languages, with the biblical languages. Um, what are your thoughts about, uh, are we settling? Uh, do we have too too low of a bar? Should, should we as pastors be encouraging people more often to, 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 to learn those, those ancient biblical texts? Or is that just a pipe dream that it's not realistic and, you know, we need to focus on other things? What are your thoughts? I I may be somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't know which particular leader you're talking about. My question to him would be, why not Hebrew? Sure. Uh, you know, why why just coin a Greek? So I think that I personally believe if you are teaching the Bible in a professional capacity, I'm not talking about a devotional leader or even a chaplain or I mean if you are standing up in front of people and saying, this is what God's word says. Unless you are in some way incapable of doing so through learning disability, through financial ability, through, through availability of programs, 
there's almost no excuse for a pastor or a teacher of the Bible to not have a basic working knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. I do think any seminary that graduates somebody into a teaching ministry that doesn't require basic Hebrew and basic Greek, I think is a disservice. So I am 100% opposed to that. But not everybody's called to teach the Bible. And some people's goals are going to be different. And some people's, what God's called them to, they, they may not have the resources or the time or the aptitude. And so I don't think it's one of those, everybody should know the languages. Now I taught for a year at my church on a Saturday morning. I had a group that was started with about 12 of them. I think we got down to three or four that finished, but we spent a year and I taught them basics of biblical Hebrew from my professor's textbook. These were not clergy. These were retirees. These were college students. These were people working nine to fives, but they all wanted to learn basic Hebrew, at least enough that they could use commentary resources, that they wouldn't be taken in. The degree to which you don't know a biblical language, you are subject to someone's teaching to that degree. So the more you do know, the more you're able to to verify and to grow and to study. So I'm all for people learning the language. It's not as hard as people think. If you can learn coding, if you can learn financial spreadsheets, you know, you can learn the basics of the language. But I know it's also something that not everybody is going to be able to do and may not even be called to do. So, yes, clergy, if you are if you have any teaching capacity, I, 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 not the Lord, say that you should learn basic Hebrew and basic Koine Greek sure. because you owe it to the people you're going to teach. Sure. But other than that, I, I think it's great. I mean, I, I encourage it, but it's it's not a requirement by any means. No, that's good. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Now, uh, speaking of the Bible, what book or passage do you recommend within the Bible for people who, who are seeking discipline in their life? For sure. I mean, the obvious answer is Proverbs, because the whole book is about wisdom and discipline. Uh, that's a theme throughout. Pro- in fact, my latest superhero seminary video was all about Proverbs and discipline and training up a child. And it was using the Mandalorian was teaching that class. Um, so. Proverbs would be a go-to, but for me, I think more than just telling you what to do, the key is putting whatever you're doing in a biblical worldview. If you, the, the parable I use is if you tell somebody, hey, here's a pile of sand and a pile of bags, fill these bags up, and I'm gonna come back in an hour and see how many you've done, you may or may not get the results you're looking for. But if you, same pile of sand, same pile of bags, and you tell somebody, hey, your neighborhood is about to be flooded in an hour, and we've got to get these sandbags filled to protect your kids and your family and your house. So hurry because the flood's coming. You're going to get so many more sandbags filled that way because Mm -hmm. they have a reason for what they're doing. So I look at a lot of discipline talk that I've seen or heard as the equivalent of, of somebody who's really disciplined telling other people, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. That's good. And that may help people for sure. But prior to that, I think there needs to be somebody going, Hey, this is why you need to do this. Amen. Because the floods are coming. So in that sense, the studying the biblical story overall is, is what I think provides the foundation that then the discipline can build upon. Otherwise, it's just discipline for discipline's sake or bragging rights. Amen. Amen. 
Um, now, once upon a time, even though I was already saved and I had already, you know, loved the Bible, I was really struggling with some secular studies. I was procrastinating. And then I stumbled upon this book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And that was a secular book that even though I would never put it up there to the Bible, it really had an impact on my life. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Is there a secular book out there that's that's brought that type of structure to your life that's outside of the Bible? Do you, do you have one of those? Oh, that's a good, that's a really good question. I I don't typically read um, uh, self-help or, 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 or those type of leadership books in general. I'm not, I'm not against them. I just, I, more of the artistic, the creative, you know, I, Bruce Lee's Tao of Jeet Kune Do was okay. a phenomenal book in terms of like, like getting, crafting my thinking. And, and he's writing about the martial art philosophy of fighting. But I was reading that being like, there's, there's some spiritual application to this, that the Holy Spirit takes stuff. Well, all God's, all wisdom is God's wisdom. So the Holy Spirit can take stuff and, and can be like, Hey, this is the truth that's in that. Like you're talking about with seven habits. I mean, the book of Proverbs itself contains Egyptian wisdom proverbs. There's a, there are a few proverbs that are straight out of Egyptian wisdom literature that, that the proverb author has included because they're good wisdom. Sure. And that's the whole nature of Proverbs. So I think God can definitely use secular wisdom. For me personally, I get more inspired by things that are by, by creative stuff, you know, like Lord of the Rings movie. Uh, that trilogy or, uh, you know, good comic books from the 70s, 60s, 70s and 80s. I love those, um, you know, really good novel. My favorite book outside of the Bible is a novel called Watership Down. And it's about this group of rabbits that have to move from their home to a new home. And it's it's this entire it's like the, the, the Odyssey or the Iliad, but with rabbits, nothing scriptural, spiritual about it. But those are the kind of things to me and to maybe any listeners or readers that aren't uh, typically gravitate to the self-help stuff or the leadership stuff. Those are the things that inspire me. They give me new eyes to see the world. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, James Michael Smith, where can people find you? Where can they find your classes and your teaching? Where can they find your scholarship? Well, excuse me, I should have said that word. Where can they find your teaching? And then also, uh, where can people train with you as well? Well, if my, the main place people can go for anything discipleship related is, is Disciple Dojo's ministry page. So the discipledojo.org, that's our main site. And if you click at the top, there's train the body and train the spirit. And, and the train the spirit link has all of our Bible teaching podcasts. Um, they can subscribe to the Disciple Dojo podcast on any, any podcast platform, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and then the, the big thing is most of what we do is, is video based. So just uh, Disciple Dojo YouTube channel, just youtube.com slash Disciple Dojo. So those are the places that they'll find. The YouTube channel has hundreds of hours of teaching. The podcasts have hundreds of hours of teaching. We focus, uh, we, we have some that are courses people can take. Like we have a course on the, um, called To Know and Be Known, Forming a Thoughtful Christian Sexual Ethic which in our day and age is a huge issue for the church, even knowing how do we even approach these things that the culture is going on about, about sexuality and gender and, and all this stuff. How do we approach it? We have a course all about that. I have a course called Revelation, a guided tour of the apocalypse, 
Another thing that is widely misunderstood among Christians is the book of Revelation. It's my favorite New Testament book to teach. And so we have a course that walks you through chapter by chapter. It's free. All the courses that we have are free. They download the workbook as a PDF, print it out. You can do it as a small group or individual study. So spiritually, all that's linked, either the webpage, DiscipleDojo.org, or YouTube slash DiscipleDojo. And then in terms of martial arts training, two ways. If they're in the Charlotte area, uh, th the ministry that I run, the outreach, is called Refugee Jitsu. And it's a free weekly class, self-defense class for refugee, immigrant, and lower-income kids here in Charlotte. We meet on Tuesday nights at 6.30. So if anybody wants to get involved with that and volunteer in the Charlotte area, love having visitors. We love having people come meet the kids, you know, connect with them. They can reach out to me and just say, I'm interested in refugee jitsu. And if they just want to train straight up martial arts, I teach on Wednesday nights at Henzo Gracie Charlotte, or it's also called Leadership Martial Arts here right up the street in Charlotte. And I also, that's where I train when I'm not teaching there. That's where I train as well. My instructor owns the school. So they can go leadershipma.com uh, or henzogracycharlotte.com. That is awesome. That is awesome. And uh, I can tell all my audience that uh, James Michael Smith is the real deal. Now, before we go into closing thoughts, I just wanted to thank you for coming on. I thank you just for who you are. I thank you for your online ministry. That's been an encouragement to me throughout the years. And I also thank you for your transparency about areas where you struggled. Uh, I think that people learn from that and, and are touched from that even more than they are, you know, uh, hearing about the mountaintops. So I thank you about that. I thank you for that as well. Uh, but as we close, I wanted to give you the closing thoughts and and, and do you have anything that you would like to share with our, our audience? Because we have an audience of people who are just trying to get better at doing life. They're trying to uh, seek discipline so that they can accomplish all of their goals and accomplish um, and, and reach that abundant life. So what advice do you have for them? I, I would say this. Discipline is, can, can look many different ways. There's, there's no one way to be disciplined. So to, to seek out different ways, different methods that, that are tailored to your giftings, your calling, your personality. And I would also say, be beware with every good thing, there can be a, a negative twist to it. Uh, Satan is unoriginal. He can't create anything. He can only twist good things. The twisting of discipline happens when discipline becomes an idol and it becomes our focus rather than discipline being a tool that helps craft us more into the likeness of Jesus. So when we make discipline our focus, we, we run in danger of, of creating an idol. And you see that on Instagram, you see that on social media, people create whole cottage industries around showing off how disciplined they are. Not, it's not that that thing's bad in and of itself, but for the Christian, the follower of Jesus, discipline is a means to an end. And that end is knowing God and reflecting him to people around us in a way that they can experience him. Amen. Amen. And for that reason, James Michael Smith, the first chapter to the book that we will develop is what is your why? Why are you becoming disciplined? Because that's if your why is wrong, then everything else is going to uh, be futile. So thank you so much for, for coming on and thank you again for your time. And, and we just really appreciate you. Yeah, my pleasure. man. My pleasure. I appreciate it. We were truly honored to have James Michael Smith on Becoming Disciplined. To check out his artistic endeavors, please follow him at jmsmith.org. 
To learn from one of his Bible classes, follow him at discipledojo.org. If you want to roll with JMS on the mat, he trains at HenzoGracieCharlotte.com. In closing, we want to thank you for watching, listening, and most of all, sharing.